0: Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Our God, as we look at a story, it may be a familiar story, one that we think and read about frequently, but let these words be different and carry new meaning for us today so that they might fall afresh on our ears. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. The moment was arriving when I was finally going to be moving out of the house. Do you all remember that moment? Yes. Maybe you're on the other side and you've let your kids move out of the house. And it's a, it's a different kind of a feeling, isn't it? Well, maybe if you go back to the time when you moved out of the house and there was freedom behind that, um, I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about cooking. Because you've know you got to learn how to do laundry and cooking by yourself. And you don't have your mom or your dad or your grandparents around to, to coddle you as much anymore, right? And so I dabbled with my mom here and there in the kitchen, a little bit of a sous chef. Like she would let me do easy things like grate the cheese. It's real hard to mess up grating cheese, unless you put it all over the floor. But it's real hard to mess up grating cheese. And I wanted to know more about than how to cook than just Rice Krispie Treats and macaroni and cheese. Am I right? You, You can't live on that. Well, you could, but you wouldn't get very far. So I, I wanted to have some inspiration, some guidance, and I learned needed to know some best practices and I needed a little bit of love. So I spent some time with my mom. That seemed like the most logical thing to do because I think that she would be the best one to sit with me and teach me her favorite recipe and my favorite recipe, how to make gumbo. She's from the South, y'all. So we make gumbo. So as she made it, I jotted down the recipe and made sure that I was paying close attention to her, and I asked her for precise measurements so that I could replicate it later, right? After all, I was going to be cooking this for my roommates and I didn't want them to gag, or worse yet. But she kept on saying, eyeball it, eyeball it. It's not that big of a deal. You put a dash of this and a splash of that. What do you mean eyeball it, just guess? that's a sure way to mess it up isn't it and she would say doodles that was her nickname for me now you know an embarrassing fact about myself doodles when you cook something you love it becomes part of you and your love goes into it and that's something that you can't measure so I I left her house that day knowing in general how to cook gumbo And the first time that I made it for my roommates, they not only didn't die, they not only didn't gag, but they said it was phenomenal, one of the best gumbos they had ever tasted. And it tasted just like my mama's. It was magical, and it reminded me of being with my mom. Now, my mom's still with me. I'm tearing up because probably, you know, post-pregnancy hormones. But I love my mom, and she's amazing, and she teaches me things. Perhaps you have a relationship in your life of someone special like that, that you can spend time with them and they can teach you something. So I was learning a recipe. And I love that there's this recipe going on here because in the Bible, in our scripture passage for today, God actually says a recipe. Perhaps you've read this scripture in the Bible. It's from Exodus chapter 12. And it's how to prepare the Passover meal. And it's an exact juxtaposition to my mom's eyeball it. It's very detailed. Let's read it together. I'll put it up on the screens. Exodus chapter 12, one through 14. 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, the land of Egypt, this month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first months of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the 10th of this month, they are to take the lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for the whole lamb, it shall join the closest neighbor of the attaining one. And the lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who are going to eat it. Your lamb should be without blemish. It should be a one-year-old male, and you should take it from a sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost. That's probably the part that you remember the most about this story. You shall take the blood and put it on the doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its heads, legs, and inner organs. You shall net none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. So it's not only like how to prepare it, but how you should dress while you're eating it. Ready? With your loins girded, That's a whole other discussion. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hands and you shall eat it hurriedly. So don't chew 20 times like my mama told me, eat my peas. This is the Passover of the Lord for it will pass through the land of Egypt that night and it will strike down, if you're a child, cover your ears. It will strike down every firstborn in the land in Egypt and both human beings and animals and all the gods in Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. That blood that you put over your doorposts, that blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you live. When you see, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the word Passover comes from. I will pass over you and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival of the Lord. Through your generations, you shall observe it as perpetual ordinance. Let me repeat that last part for you. This shall be a day of remembrance and you shall celebrate it as a festival and throughout the generations you'll observe it as a perpetual ordinance. The Passover, with all of this detail, is a monumental event. It's actually going to change the course of human history for God's people and it's an event that culminated many grand acts by God. If you remember this Passover is the 10th plague. We won't go through all of the 10 plagues just yet, but you remember that there are 10 plagues, and this is the 10th one. And it's also an event that might not have actually happened. At least not how it's told to us. You see, the divine wrath of God is not the point of the plagues. You might have learned that in Sunday school that there was the big, bad Egyptians. And so God created the wrath on the Egyptians as some sort of a retribution, as some sort of revenge. But that's not the point of the story. And so those details are a little bit different when you read it with this new thought. How God shows God's power has some historical accuracy, but let's dive into that a little bit. Now, God's power is the takeaway. So keep that in the back of your mind. God's power is the takeaway, but not in the way that you think. You see, some people have wanted to focus that wrath on on the bad, big bad Egyptians, but not at all. Not at all. Especially in the wake of these hurricanes, natural disasters, or even today is 9-11. We remember that a disaster happened we can't equate big disasters as some sort of wrath of God. That gets us into dangerous territory theologically, and it should leave us uncomfortable linking divine judgment with a national disaster, whether it's in America or Egypt or any nation. It's one thing to affirm that God certainly acts through history. I'm not going to doubt that. God acts through history and God acts through nations, but it's quite another to claim that God, and we know what God's intentions are and why God or how God or where God is going to move. That's not up to us to judge. It's us to observe and understand where God's movements are. So the divine wrath is not the takeaway from the passage. It's God's power, though. And so where do we see God's power? Now, it doesn't take any biblical scholar. I mean, you can learn about this on the History Channel, on PBS, or any like, New Testament or Old Testament history class. These are some of the things that you would learn. I don't know if many of you have spent time with any of those things, but here we are today. Modern historians are puzzled because there is no Ancient source, no ancient source, including Egyptian ones, that even hint at the scene. Ready? There are 600,000 Israelites. That translates, and that's just the men, so that translates to 2 million men, women, and children who are part of this Israelite nation and are being moved out of Egypt. You don't think that that would be mentioned in history anywhere? It seems unlikely. Maybe the Egyptians didn't want to put that into their history. I totally get it. I don't like to talk about my past, especially the shady part. So I wouldn't have put it in my history either. So I'll give them that. But you would think that the surrounding countries, the ones that are like, oh, big bad Egypt to the left or to the right or to the south of us, you think that they would have put something in there. But they didn't. The massive amount of people walking through the desert leaving, I'm sure, some trace. If you've ever been to a concert and you leave it, you walk right through the Rose Bowl and you look at all of the trash from all of the people who had been tailgating that day. It's not pretty. Two million people, you'd think they wouldn't leave a trace behind them? Nothing mentioned. Later stories mention um, different pharaohs. So let's talk about pharaoh. It's just pharaoh. That's it. Not pharaoh of a name. We don't know if it's Ramses. We don't know if it's Ramses II. We don't know if it's King Tut. We have no idea. But other pharaohs are mentioned. So why are other pharaohs mentioned, but this pharaoh isn't? You think if you're oppressing two million people that you might get your name recognized? Makes sense, right? But that's not the point. The point is is that when we think about all of these historical details, we can get wrapped up in them but God's power still comes through. How does God's power still come through? See, it's still a credible story. We can't just dismiss it because of those things, and I'll tell you why. They start off the story by saying we were slaves. That's a very credible way to say it, because back in the day, they used to say, we are the most mighty powerful, fill in the blank. And so by saying that we are humble, that gives it a little bit more credit. It also has a very uh, normal name, Moses. You probably remember that there was a a King Tut, Moses, and so it's a very Egyptian name. And so Moses, our Israelite, become um, Egyptian citizen. It's kind of it's it's a normal thing. And so they would have given him some some uh, screwy name. They would have they actually gave him a really good one. And there also happens to be a depletion in Egypt's grain supply right around this time, so you can kind of think, well, if there's no sun and there's blood in the, you guys remember some of the plagues, if there's locusts, if there's blood in the Nile River, that probably would lead to some not great harvest crops. So there's a little bit of a correlation there. And then we also have to take into account oral tradition. Oral tradition is something that happens... And has happened, and it's like repeating a story. Like I would tell a story one way, and then my grandkid probably would tell the same story and over and over and over again by the time the fish was this big, right? Yeah. The Exodus story has historical challenges, but it still packs quite a punch. We still need to listen for how is God very powerful? We focus too much on the historical aspect of it, and we're gonna miss it. Ten plagues do you guys remember the plagues? All right. All right. We're going to do a little testing. All right. So it was God's responsibility, the gods, the Egyptian gods, I'm saying plural gods, to take care of the, the people, right? And it's our God, Yahweh. I'll use God, Yahweh, to differentiate between gods so you don't have to listen for the S. It is the god's responsibility to take care of the Egyptians, their people, and it is God, Yahweh's responsibility to take care of God's people. So, Yahweh was able to just breeze right in through the Egyptian do all these plagues. God is more powerful. The first plague is when the river of Egypt turns to what? Blood. It was, the Nile River was the source of Egypt's existence. The Nile turning to blood was not only weird, but it symbolized a defeat of a deity. They worshipped the Nile. The Nile was a god. Okay, let's move on. The second plague was frogs. Anyone remember that one? Yeah. I didn't remember that one either. I had to write it down. The second plague is frogs, and that was fertility. And they had a fertility god, as most, most uh, religions do. They have a fertility god, and guess what the head of the fertility god was looking like? A frog. There we go. A plus over there. God totally debunks that god. Jumping to the ninth plague, because I don't want to belabor this point too much, but God darkens the sun, and you all remember the sun god Ra. A plus over here. The sun god Ra completely is demolished by having it be dark. God is here. God is more powerful than the Egyptian gods. And God sent the tenth plague, the final plague, and that's the one with the death of the firstborns. God can control even this god, Osiris, the god of the dead. So God shows God is more powerful. Yahweh shows he is more powerful by debunking all of these Egyptian gods. And the details of this are so important. But the fact that they happened or not is not the most important. But the telling of the story and the fact that God is more powerful than the Egyptian gods is what we take away from all the plagues leading up into this plague the plagues are not random acts. They're important acts. And they're saying that our God, Yahweh, is more powerful. Now, it's not the God of wrath, though these plagues show devastation. And the power was shown, actually, by the eating of the meal together. And I'm finally getting to our scripture verse for today. So sorry if you've fallen asleep until right now. The eating of the meal together is the most important part. Remember how God was belaboring, writing down how they should eat, who they should eat with. It wasn't just their own family. It was other families. It was their community. It's like all of us sharing a meal together. Does that harken back to a certain meal that we all share with one another? The preparation of the Passover is so very specific. How to what to wear, who to invite, and that's where God's power comes out. It's not with the slaughtering. It's not with the power, that the wrath, you might think. It's with the meal that is shared with the people. The dabbing of blood on their doorposts is the people's response to that love. And so every single year, the people get together, and they remember, and they declare. It's their affirmation of faith. It's them saying, I am a Yahweh follower. I'm not just sitting back. It's them saying, I am a Yahweh follower. I remember that my ancestors put blood on their doorposts, and I am sitting here at this Passover meal, and I am sitting here, and I'm loving on my neighbor. I'm loving on my friend. I'm loving together. And it's the meal shared together that shares that power. This is a sign for them for them to respond back to God. And Exodus hints at this so importance. They mark themselves as Israelites. They mark themselves not as Egyptians. they mark themselves as people who love Yahweh. Now going through the details over and over again, each and every year is a ritual, is a tradition. And it might have gotten tarnished, their relationship with God might have gotten tarnished over the past year, but they still come to that moment. How many of you go week by week and are thinking, wow, I'm just not good enough to go to church? Or you went through a season of your life where you thought, I'm just not good enough to come to Lord, to God. Or I did something not so great, or I feel really bad about that thing that I said to my friend. And it's the sharing of a meal together here that will be your response to God's love for you. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I've had a really rough week. And it reminds me that we'll have that communion here. And I, I wish we were having communion today. This is a completely wrong text for the wrong day. We should have had it last week, right? Or I should have gone to the store earlier this morning and bought some bread. Because that meal that we share together is the most important thing that we can possibly do. And it's saying... You are part of my house. I am part of your house. And we together are part of God's house. And it doesn't matter what I did this last week. Now it reminds me of that renewed relationship that I had with my mom as I was sitting there and learning how to make her gumbo recipe. I can prepare my mom's gumbo every day. I can prepare it once a week. And when she's gone... I can still sit there and I can remember her and I can go through it. And Jesus might not be a tangible person in your life right now, but you can still come to that table prepared for you. And you can eat the bread and you can drink the cup and you can remember how much God loves you, no matter what you've done. That's the power the power is in the meal, the power is in the community. That's the story of the plagues, showing how much God loves us. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we don't have Jesus as a, as a person that is physically on this earth, but we are so glad that there was a physical Jesus who sat with his closest disciples and taught them the most great things that was filled with love. And every year that they would celebrate that Passover, they were sharing and stating, I love you, God, with their community. And as we keep on celebrating that meal, let us constantly remember that you are with us and that you love us and that your power shines through. Your power is the most important. In your name we pray. Amen.